Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Congressman David Price, uh, Congressman from North Carolina's 4th District, and obviously a, a great deal of the topic topics that we're discussing have to do with the pandemic and the effect it has on not only uh, our uh, health, but also our economy. Uh, we have already spent a good bit of time talking about the uh, economy and some of the things that might have to be done to get the economy back on track. Uh, let's turn now, Congressman, if you will, to what uh, you see and how you see us, uh, uh, and see especially the federal government, aiding in uh, uh, providing funding for uh, the recovery from a health point of view, uh, how we uh, uh, are funding uh, projects for finding a vaccine, uh, additional therapeutics, and also, of course, the uh, tracking and testing. So uh, where, where, where do you think we are on that? Uh, it's right at the top of the list, and it needs to be. In fact, when you and I were talking a, a few minutes ago about the sequencing of these bills, the first one we did addressed, uh, addressed the vaccine research and the search for uh, therapies. And uh, so um, those, those efforts right now, the challenge is not money. I, I don't think any of us would want to skimp on those things. Uh, the, the challenge is, is simply uh, mustering the scientific expertise to, uh, to and and, uh, and also I'd say some some good good luck as well as we uh, experiment with various approaches to uh, both vaccination and and therapies. So, so those are funded. The uh, and and we just press going forward and, and we give these scientists whatever they need to uh, to, to to deal with this. Uh, there are other uh, aspects, though, of the healthcare system that, uh, like everything else, have been thrown into sharp relief by what we're what we're going through. And uh, part of the part of the problem with uh, the disproportionate effects on uh, on African Americans and Latinos and, and people of color that, that that's partly a matter of them not having uh, adequate healthcare in the first place and not not um, having insurance and so on. So. Um, I think the case coming out on the other side of this, I can't imagine anyone would any longer argue that we shouldn't expand Medicaid, for example, in North Carolina, that we shouldn't uh, fully support our community health centers, and that we shouldn't uh, take a hard look at uh, at uh, the the equities of healthcare and and who's covered and who isn't, and how we can make sure that that coverage is uh, is adequate. We have money in these bills to deal with testing and tracing and, and the kind of expenses that our hospitals and public health agencies are incurring. And of course, we need to cover that. But like everything else, it's going to also pose some challenges uh, on the other side as to what are the lessons learned? What are the lessons learned about good health care and about a, a fair distribution of access to health care? I keep hearing, uh, I'm trying to keep up with this, but I, uh, I hear the emphasis is placed on testing and tracking as one of the uh, key elements to uh, controlling this, the spread of uh, this uh, pandemic uh, uh, virus that we have. Uh, one of the, but I'm a little confused about it in the sense that I keep hearing different numbers. Uh, where do you think we stand is, or do we have enough tests available? Uh, and uh, are the, factors in place to use those tests for tracking? Uh, no, we do not have 
enough tests in place. We never have, and we still don't, although the situation has improved some. You know, the, the, there, there are a couple of obvious ways we need to do testing and, uh, and, and, and then the, the isolation of cases, the tracking of contacts, and so forth. The first should have been the places where people are especially vulnerable. You know, we should have had, we should have had testing of every person in a given nursing home facility uh, from the start. We should have tested everybody out at Butner Prison, all, all the inmates and all the, all the guards and the personnel. Uh, we should have, um, we should have had um, uh, in the meatpacking plants, you know, it shouldn't be a matter of testing someone who comes to work uh, with symptoms. It should be a matter of testing everybody. And then when you get a positive test, you isolate that person and protect the others. That's, that is just so obvious. And yet we did not do that. And uh, we're, we're now doing it more, more completely. But um, I, I tell you, I, it's, I, uh, I represent a lot of people who work at Butner. And, and, and who work at the various healthcare facilities and uh, who, and it's just, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, that the people they're serving and the people they're working with did not, they were going in the dark so long, often they didn't have enough protective equipment. You know, it's just, uh, it, it's just a major, major uh, failing, I think. And, and I would say a failing of the federal government, you, you know, you would hope that all the hospitals and all the public health agencies and all the rest should have a certain stockpiles. But, um, but basically this is a national emergency. It's a national need. We have had a national provision for uh, pandemic preparation in the past. And so I, I do think um, it, it fell short. Okay. The second situation then is as you, um, as you have community spread, you know, it's not just in hotspot locations, then you really need to have the capacity to, uh, to deal with people who may have symptoms and, and then to, if, if they test positive, to, to track their contacts, to contain, you know, to isolate them and their family members, and, and then also to trace their contacts so that everybody's on notice and you don't just have people inadvertently spreading the virus. And that's, that's what really takes... Uh, a huge uh, number of personnel and a huge amount of uh, testing equipment, and there too, we're, uh, we're we're not we're not there yet. But you know, the folks who want to reopen, who are so hot to reopen everything, they ought to be the first in line to uh, to support uh, testing and tracing. So, uh, how much money is is enough money available? Is it a timing issue? More it's than both. You? I think there is money. There is money in the. Uh, in this new heroes bill, you know, we're talking, we've, you and I've talked about the three bills, which after a good bit of hassling, haggling still got done on a bipartisan basis. Now the question is, when does the heroes act, the fourth bill get done? And that one has a major, uh, um, um, you know, I think adequate funding for, uh, for, for the kind of testing and tracing, uh, effort nationally that we're, we're talking about. Um, uh, so, uh, and, and we now hear that, uh, that the Senate is uh, is ready to, to deal or, or that they're talking about in mid-June, you know, doing that fourth uh, bill. I'm sure it'll be a tough uh, negotiation, but uh, still, the state and local government is hanging in the balance. The testing and tracing is hanging in the balance. Uh, and, and uh, you know, building this bridge to the other side, uh, Mitch McConnell talks about pausing. I don't want to pause. I mean, I don't think our needs are pausing. Uh, the paycheck needs 
health need. No, nobody's pausing. We need to keep building this thing to the other side. And I would say that testing and tracing capability, is, along with the state and local government support, is the key components of that. I want to change the subject a little bit and talk about uh, the return to the college campuses and the uh, uh, K through 12 uh, school systems. What's your view uh, on how we do that and uh, when we do that? Oh, talk about a tough uh, question. Are you, are you still a trustee or? At, uh, no, my, 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 my sentence is over. <laughs> yeah, well, if you were, you'd be agonizing over this, I promise, right now. This is yeah. not easy at all. These And the college administrators and the students and families, everybody's, uh, everybody's in a state of some uncertainty. Um, I, uh, you, you've, you've, heard the same uh, speculation that I have about uh, actually an earlier opening might be advisable during the summer season and then and then um, and then not not coming back after Thanksgiving so so as to take advantage of whatever kind of seasonal break we get um, it's certainly going to be uh, a distanced kind of learning experience with for the, I think a good number of campuses will try to come back um, but uh, I think I think the classroom experience will be uh, will be rather different. I think there'll be some hybrid of online and, and in-person instruction. Uh, I think your everything from your living arrangements to your dining facilities are going to be different. I, of course, very much hope that I'm a great believer in the campus experience and what it does for young people. And I uh, I very much hope we can find a way to uh, to reopen. But of course, we got to do it safely. And if we mess things up now and we end up with a a major um, resurgence of this, you know, forget it. All bets are off. What about K through 12? Um, well, the same kinds of considerations. I mean, the same kind of cautious approach, I think. I, I don't think uh, schools will reopen this spring anywhere very much. Uh, not, uh, I really, my own opinion based on what I know is that they shouldn't, but in the, in the fall will be another issue. And it will be a question of, uh, of what, um, What's safe to do, and and how we can uh, how we can develop a hybrid of the uh, traditional experience and and doing some things online and and in the case and certainly um, spreading people out so that we uh, we're minimizing the risk. Uh, I, I just um, you know I guess the uh, you, you think about political conventions this summer. You think about uh, athletic events. Uh, you know, there's so many aspects of this that. Uh, probably aren't going to be anything like normal. I would like to think that the on-campus educational experience and the public school educational experience could in some measure be restored. That's, that's certainly what I would hope for. But I just think on that, like everything else, you've got to look to your best, uh, the best evidence and uh, the best advice you can get from people who know uh, healthcare. Well, as we've discussed there, there are uh, ups and downs and ins and outs of this, uh, uh, good points and bad points. You know, one of the interesting things is all the uh, kind of good lessons we've learned. For example, we're doing this interview by Zoom, which saved you travel. And uh, so we've, we've learned some good tricks uh, from this. I think, uh, yeah, this uh, Zoom platform is pretty, pretty good. And yeah. uh, there are others like it, you know. And uh, now I don't think things will, even when there's not a, a virus in sight, uh, let's hope. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think things will re remain the same. And uh, we we um, we have learned some things about how we can uh, operate more efficiently, and I think telemedicine. I think telemedicine is going to get a huge boost yeah. out of this. 
and I think tele-education will as well. Our guest is Congressman David Price, and we have one final segment, and we'll do that right after these messages. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out in the 11th grade. Nobody was embracing you. The kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was gonna do it, but I definitely didn't do it alone. At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. She just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. And you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Congressman David Price, Congressman for the 4th District, a frequent guest on our program. And we have, of course, obviously spent a great deal of time, if you haven't listened to the entire program up to this point, discussing the pandemic and the effects of uh, the uh, virus on, on the economy and on health and uh, talking in great detail about what Congress has done, what Congress is likely to do. And uh, we've also talked about uh, uh, just some, some opinions of the congressman about uh, when to open certain things and how to balance off getting the economy back with health concerns. And uh, it, this is a very complicated issue, Congressman. Let me mention this. If you are listening to one of the stations that carries the half-hour version of this program, you can hear the two segments that you missed by going online to carolinanewsmakers.com, and you can hear the entire content. Jason Kong, our producer, segregates those. Uh, the entire content of the entire hour is 45 minutes, and if you'd like to hear the entire broadcast or share it with a friend, you can also do that by going to uh, carolinanewsmakers.com, and you can do just that. Well, Congressman, uh, again, let's just sort of, uh, we may go over some of the, the uh, same issues that we discussed earlier, but uh, as you go back to work, or you're not going back to work, as you continue your work as a congressman, what do you think is uh, the timetable right now for the various steps to move forward to our next step forward on returning the economy as well as uh, providing health care for our, our citizens. What's next? Um, well, the virus is in charge and you're not and I'm not. So we got to, I guess, stipulate that to start with uh, how, how this disease progresses worldwide and what kind of uh, dips and surges there may be in the curve. That's really going to uh, override anything I might uh, say. Um, I do think that we're on track to uh, to begin work in the in the Congress uh, in in person in in the next few weeks. Um, 
I'm particularly going to be involved in that because uh, I'm the, uh, you know, have to have a budget. You talk about how life goes on. Well, we got to have uh, a budget come October 1 of some sort. And so the transportation and housing budget that I'm responsible for, we intend to uh, to move along. And that will require in-person meetings uh, um, about a month from now. And then and votes on the on the House floor. So so we have a, a protocol. We, we put on our masks. We vote a small groups at a time. We're able to do our roll call voting. And it's, it's cumbersome, but... Um, I think we're just going to have to continue to, to do some of that. And then we've adopted proxy voting, which will give us some flexibility. So, so I think uh, we're, we're going to get going here. And uh, in, in fact, uh, uh, we'll, we'll uh, uh, keep, keep on schedule with things that we, uh, that we have to do. It will be a long time, though, before we're uh, operating uh, as, as we're accustomed. And that's true not just for the Congress of the United States. It's true for almost every... Uh, enterprise in this country. A lot of people are concerned about where this federal money is coming from. Obviously, we're having to borrow it, and so the federal debt uh, continues to rise. Uh, how much money is there before we, we get to an ounce point on that? Well, that's, um, that's uh, of course, uh, uh, a question that's going to be uh, very much on our minds uh, going forward. I think uh, as we said earlier, even those conservative economists are telling us now, don't stop. You know, the, the, the main danger now is stopping too soon and, and having a real economic crash that it's much harder to recover from. Uh, see this through to the other side. And I would say that includes not just relief, but it includes a serious recovery bill. You, you can argue, I think, and I would argue that back in, uh, back in 2009, you know, we had this Recovery Act, which uh, we'd have been a lot better off. We would have had a faster job growth and a faster recovery if that had been bigger, not smaller. But yet we always get into these arguments about um, how much is too much. Now, on the other side, with the economy uh, back at a, at a healthier place, then, uh, yes, we need to look forward and, and uh, talk about deficits, annual deficit, talk about debt. You know, uh, I don't particularly like to say I told you so, but uh, on, on this one, we did, we did say, I and many others said, that when the economy was uh, in a growth mode, the wrong thing to do a couple of years ago was to enact a trillion and a half dollar tax cut. It was more than that, but it took us a trillion and a half further into, into debt. It gave the economy a kind of sugar high but it wasn't really necessary in terms of uh, countering negative trends. You ought to, you ought to uh, go into deficits and debt as a counter-cyclical matter. Not, you don't do that when the sun's shining. You do that when, you need, uh, when the economy needs help. So that's, uh, that, that puts a billion and a half in the hole that we shouldn't be in. Not, not good, but uh, we still need to get out. And it is a matter of trillions of dollars to get out. And um, the, uh, the total so far is $3 trillion in these relief bills that you and I have discussed. It's going to have to be more than that. But then you, uh, you, do, have, um, you do have revenue coming in and, and, and the economy coming, coming back uh, slowly that will, uh, will replenish the, the coffers. Uh, but, um, and, by the way, you talk about the, what's the tipping point. You know, people have said, you know, you better watch it if, you're, uh, if your debt exceeds your GDP, your, your, you know, the size of the economy. We thought that was um, 12 years away, the point when that was going to happen. 
Uh, it now happens at the end of this year. That's just how bad this is, how serious this is. The debt of this country will equal the size of this economy uh, within a few months. And um, like I say, that doesn't mean you, you get spooked and, and stop, uh, stop the process of relief and recovery, but it does mean you know that you're going to have some reckoning to do in the future. Well, the interesting thing about debt right now from the, the government is the fact that interest rates are at an all-time low. And so uh, I don't know what we would do if interest rates were high. Uh, well, in that, and, and that should be said, Don, I think, because one of the things we've always looked for as, as trouble signs, troubling signs was interest rates spiking and inflation spiking. You know, that's always been one of the looming dangers of uh, indebtedness. And the fact that isn't happening it probably is, is going to puzzle a lot of economists to figure this out, you know, as to what, what kind of tipping point, if any, there is. But it's also reassuring in terms of our ability right now to sustain this. Well, um, you know, like you say, uh, we are fortunate that, uh, that that interest rate is low. And, and you also mentioned earlier on the prospect of uh, – helping the economy by going ahead with some infrastructure projects that we need to do anyway. That will help provide jobs. And also, when people have jobs, they pay taxes. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, uh, I have often thought about that experience in 2009, the Recovery Act. And uh, I, just, I just think infrastructure should have been a much, much bigger piece of that. I mean, I know why it wasn't. I could go into that, but not very good reasons, actually. <laughs> but anyway, it wasn't. And, and uh, I think uh, it should have been. And um, so I've always thought that was a missed opportunity, and I don't want to miss it again. Well, Congressman, we certainly appreciate you taking time to visit with us and our listeners. And uh, again, I would remind our listeners, uh, if uh, the work of the Congressman goes on, if you have concerns, of course, you know how to get in touch with Congressman Price either in his district offices or at, uh, in Washington. Um, our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he promises me he'll have an equally interesting guest again next week. In the meantime, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. So again, that's carolinanewsmakers.com. So till next week, same time, same station. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.